0: Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Luke chapter 22 this morning. We want to give you a message of hope this morning. God wants to give you a message of hope this morning. Luke chapter 22. While you're turning there, as Mike mentioned, uh, starting a new series on Wednesday night, In the book of James, in fact, for the next couple of months, we're going to be in James and then Jude. And the reason we're going to be in those two books is we're actually going to look at those two books for the first time from the perspective of these were the only two books written by Jesus's brothers that are contained in the Bible. And we're going to look at them from that perspective of how did growing up with Jesus affect or shape their perspective, and what they share in their letters to us in the New Testament. So that starts Wednesday night, looking at James. In fact, the very first message out of James Wednesday night is on the fact that our faith will be tested. Your faith being tested right now? (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's going to be a good, timely message for all of us on Wednesday night. I want you to first go with me in Luke 22 to verse 53. We're actually starting more towards the end, but we'll go back to the beginning of the chapter and pick it up from there. The reason I want to start here is because of something startling that Jesus says. And and let me just sort of set what's happening here. Jesus is being arrested, he's in the garden. Judas has come up and kissed him so that they know now who it is that Judas has identified that he has betrayed. And they're getting ready to arrest him, and some other things are happening. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But notice what Jesus says in verse 53. After he says, day after day, I was with you in the temple courts. You didn't arrest me then. But then notice what he says. Because these words from Jesus literally put shade, if you will, over everything that happens in this passage and everything we're going to talk about today. He says to those who come to arrest him, this is your hour and that of the power of darkness. Think about that. This, what's happening? God's not in this. (laughs) This is your time. And this is time when the power of darkness is rearing its ugly head. It's strong right now, the power of darkness. Now, a couple things. Why does Jesus describe it that way? For two primary reasons. God is being rejected like never before. And we know that. I mean, Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, and yet he was totally rejected. By the majority of people in his day, they did not believe that he was the son of God or the Messiah. So God was being pushed out. God was being rejected. But also Satan was very active. Now, Satan is always active. But there are certain times throughout history that Satan is more active than others, and we even see that playing out here in Luke 22, when even Jesus points out, and I just want to touch on these for just a moment, and we're going to come back to them. If you look up at verse 31, he tells Simon, 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 pay attention, Simon, uh, Satan has demanded to have all of you, you eleven who are left with me after Judas betrayed me, to sift you like wheat. And then at the beginning of the chapter, if you go over to verse 3, notice that it was this time too that Satan literally took possession of and entered into Judas. You see. That's why I think Jesus describes this time as their hour, his enemy's hour, and the hour and power of darkness. But there's also something else here before we move out of verse 53. And that is, notice that Jesus is pointing out that what is taking place in the physical world has its origin and connection to the spiritual world. He says, this is your hour, speaking about those who came to arrest him, but he says this is also the power of darkness. He connects the two, you see. So we need to be aware of that as well as, as, well as Christians. That even though there are things happening in the physical world, they have their connection and origin always to the spiritual world. And I'm just gonna say this today. Some of you may disagree with me. It's fine, your prerogative. I believe we could say the same thing today, in the day in which we are living that this is their hour, meaning the enemies of God's hour on this earth. And this is all the power of darkness that is happening in the world today. This has its connection and its origin to Satan and to the demonic realm. And you and I, as Christians, are living in it. Now, just like in Jesus' day, betrayed, arrested, going to crucify him, and we're going to look at the crucifixion next week, Yet I want to give us a message of hope because Jesus does. Because what Jesus wants his followers to realize is this. Even in the darkness, there's always hope. Even in the, no matter how dark God allows it to get, God wants his people to know there's always hope in the darkness. Even take that to apply that to your own life. Look back over your life, and, and not for too long, obviously, but think about what were a couple of the times in your life that you would say, man, that was a really dark time in my life. God wanted you to know even at that time, there was hope there in that time. I was there, you see. And we obviously know that there's even a period of history called the Dark Ages, But with God, no matter how much it looks like the darkness is active and maybe even winning and triumphant, oh, it never gets the best of God. And God's people have to understand that. You see, even when it seems like the darkness is winning and getting the best of God, it never does. I mean, think back to even this time. Jesus, the Son of God, was going to be hanging on a cross in just a few hours. It looks like Satan has won and evil has won and, and you know, somehow God has, has lost. No, just the opposite. It is through what is happening that God actually wins his greatest victory. And you and I as Christians need to live with that kind of hope. So with that said, I want us to go through this chapter briefly this morning, and I want you to see how we as Christians, even in the dark times of our life, even in the times in which we are living, can have hope. Go back with me, first of all, to verse 14. Because even in the darkness, we are reminded that there is the presence of Jesus. You see, even in this hour... Jesus wanted to sit and have a meal with his followers. It says, when the hour came, Jesus wanted to celebrate Passover. Ironic, isn't it? The Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, wanted to celebrate Passover with his followers. He took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Literally, in the original language, I desire this desire. It's a very strong expression of a desire to spend intimate fellowship and intimate time with these 11 men who were left after Judas left to betray him. It's the idea that even in the darkest hours, and Jesus said... When he was being arrested, this is their hour. This is the power of darkness. Jesus was sitting down at a table, fellowshipping and eating a meal in intimate communion with his followers. The darkness can never hide the presence of God from us. No matter how... Dark it gets. You and I as God's people never are shut out from the presence of God. And you and I every day can choose to sit down at the table that Jesus Christ prepares for us. And we can have that intimate connection and fellowship with Him no matter how dark it gets. In fact, David even writes in Psalm 23 that He will prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. My cup will run over, he says. So, remember something. In the darkness, there's always hope. Why? Because there's always the presence of Jesus. Even in the darkest days, the darkness never can hide Jesus' presence from his people. We always have access to the presence of Jesus. He's always there. He always makes himself available. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. All we have to do is come into his presence. He's always inviting us to come, and he's always willing to set up his king's table before us so that we can have the sustenance and the nourishment spiritually to be able to live in these days and still have that, that courage and that encouragement and that refreshment because we are, we are literally living in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's why I so long to be here on Sundays and Wednesdays, because I feel like I connect with God by connecting with God and his people. And and when we worship the Lord, I sense his presence here with us. And when we're here now, I sense him with us. And, And there's just nothing like the presence of Jesus. He's inviting us to come and sit at his feet each and every day. Because again, even in the hours of darkness, Nothing can hide the presence of Jesus. Well, that's not all. There's also in the darkness the promises of Jesus. Notice he says, after he says, I'm going to suffer, he says, for I tell you, though, I will not eat, verse 16, this meal again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Do you notice there? Jesus is promising these 11 men that they would be part of a future kingdom. Now again, Jesus has a spiritual kingdom a kingdom that we necessarily can't see with our eyes or, or touch with our hands right now that he is building through the hearts of those who believe in him. But one day Jesus is even promising here, even in the darkest hours, don't get your eyes off of the future. The best is yet to come for my people. There is a kingdom coming, and one day his kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven And Jesus wants us to understand all of his promises because guess what? The darkness, no matter how dark it gets, can never nullify the promises of Jesus Christ to his people. We need to live off of his presence and off of his promises. In verse 29, he repeats this to his disciples again. He says, I am granting to you a kingdom just as my father granted it to me. A kingdom. To be part of a Kingdom. This was a prophecy, if you will, that Jesus was giving to his followers, even in this dark time, that would hopefully comfort them and give them hope, because they weren't to get caught up in what was going to happen. He knew that just in a few hours, he was going to be arrested in that garden. He knew that they would watch him be scourged and beaten and mocked and insulted and slandered. He knew that that crown of thorns was coming and that, that robe that was going to mock him as the king of the Jews. They knew all of that. He, he knew that he was, they were going to see him hanging on that cross, being nailed to it, you see. And so he, he wants to give them hope even in the darkest time. And and think about it. How dark was that for his followers? They had staked everything in their life on following him. The Bible says most of them left everything to follow him. And now he's telling them, i got to go suffer. I've got to embrace the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to go away and go back to my father. I'm going to have to leave you. I mean, you want to talk about the world turning upside down. And again, it's like, but Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. Why are you allowing all this darkness, if you will? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But Jesus wants us to understand something. That in the dark times through history, even in the dark time in which What was happening here, where Jesus even calls it out and says, this is their hour, this is the power of darkness, Jesus wants his people to understand something. There's always hope. And no matter how dark it gets, the darkness can never hide his presence from us and never nullify one of his promises. His promises are always yes and amen. And I want to encourage you in these days, in these days where we are bombarded with so much negativity and negative things that are being said back and forth and about this or that, to saturate our minds every day for at least a little while in the Word of God, but especially focusing on His promises to us. God wants us to grab hold of and cling to His promises. And one of those promises is, I got a kingdom coming for you. You see, one day, even though it looks like things are really bad right now, one day the kingdom of this world is going to become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That guarantees from God to his people. And God wants us to live based not on what we see happening around us right now, but based on the guarantees that he has given us out of his own mouth. That's what Jesus was doing to his followers, saying to them, my presence will uphold you in the darkness, and my promises will uphold you in the darkness. Oh, but there's another one. If you look at verse 21, he says, look, And you can only imagine the electricity in that room. There were 13 men in that room that night, the 12 disciples and Jesus. And Jesus says something startling to them at this time. He says, look, the hand of the one who betrays me is with me on the table, literally close beside me. And of course, we even find out later, they're all like stunned because they don't think it's any one particular person. Judas didn't stick out to them as, it's not like Jesus said, you know, one of you is going to betray me, and i will point their finger at Judas. No, it wasn't that way. They were, as we say, gobsmacked by what Jesus said. But then notice what else Jesus said. For the Son of Man is to go, verse 22, just as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. The third thing that should give us hope in the midst of darkness is Jesus' predominance. Predominance simply means his supremacy and his control of the situation. Because I wanted to keep alliteration, we could have used the word sovereignty, but since I started with P, I had to come up with a word that started with P. That's how my mind works, sorry. So after we went from presence to promise, we go to predominance. You see, the darkness cannot thwart the predominance of God. God. He is the supreme master of the universe. He is in control, even when it looks like he's not. And Jesus is saying the same thing to his followers here in verse 22, because notice what he says. The Son of Man is going to go through this just as it has been determined. Who determined it? God. God. Nothing's happening in Jesus' life. Nothing is happening that's affecting his disciples right now that has not passed through the determinate counsel of God and his loving hands. Nothing. And yet notice something else that Jesus says here. Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So what Jesus also is saying is this. The fact that God overrules the evil that people do as he brings his purposes to pass on this earth does not make those people who do the evil any less evil. That's important to remember. They're still responsible before God for their actions, just like Judas was. You see, yes, God overrules it, but God knew what they would do. And they chose to do it. Judas chose to open his life and his heart up to Satan because he never truly in his heart embraced Jesus. And that's why Satan could come in at this moment and with the lure of money take possession of Judas's life because Judas had always left himself open to Satan because he never closed his heart to Satan by opening it up to God. So Judas is still responsible for what he's done. But Jesus also is telling his followers, even though these evil people are doing such evil things and will be held responsible for it, God's still in control. Nothing is happening at this time of Jesus' life that hasn't—isn't part of of God's plan or purpose, otherwise it wouldn't happen, because God— is predominant in the universe. God is sovereign. God is always on his throne and in control. God was not up there at this time, the father, going, oh my goodness, look what's getting ready to happen to my dear son. How did we get into this mess? And the same thing is true today. God is not up there in heaven going, oh my goodness, I didn't see all that's happening in the world. I didn't see that coming. What are we going to do? No, God is using even the evil things that are happening and being done on this earth to fulfill his will, his plan and his purpose and he wants his people to know that that's why you and I can have hope even in the darkest days that we live on this earth because he's still in control. If God was in control when Jesus was hung on the cross God's in control now too. Because the Son of God even said, this is their hour. This is the power of darkness. And yet there was always hope. Because the darkness can never hide the presence of Jesus from his people. The darkness, no matter how dark, can never nullify the promises of God to his people. And the darkness can never thwart the predominance of God over this universe. See, the crazy thing is, and this is where even the people of God, sometimes we get wavering and doubting and shaking as we start looking again just at the externals about what's going on on our planet, and we somehow think Satan is winning. Listen, there's never been a second of this universe that even when it looks like Satan's winning, that Satan has ever won anything over God. God has never lost a second to Satan. God has never lost anything. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, you and I either as Christians either believe that or we don't. And see, here's the thing. Here's why we as Christians, though, are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Because if you and I start to look at certain situations, just like in Jesus' day or in our day, at just what we can see, absolutely it looks like evil's winning. Guess what? God, for the most part, he works underneath the surface. He works in the supernatural, spiritual, invisible realm. And God is doing things now that you and I don't have any clue about. He's got this, and he's he's winning victories and battles and transforming lives and doing things that you and I don't even know about because he's not like Satan where he's just limited to the physical realm as far as how he manifests it. No, no, God, like Satan, but even to a greater degree, is working mostly in the spiritual realm, in the realms of hearts and minds and all of that. Because this world this world doesn't hold any attraction to God. Why? Because God one day is going to destroy this heaven and this earth and remake it and have a new heaven and a new earth. So this has not, that's why when Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world, it's like, are you kidding me? That's all you got? The kingdoms of this world? I got the universe. You see. So, even in the darkness, There's hope because of Jesus' presence, Jesus' promises, and Jesus' predominance. Oh, we're not done. There's also Jesus' proclamation. I love this. So I want to go down through this. I want you to go to verse 28, but just give me a second to set the context here. After all these wonderful things, guess what these disciples do? They start, because of their own pride, arguing amongst themselves about which one's the greatest. Don't you love that? I mean, the, the... Jesus is getting ready to lay down his life, go to the cross. In a sense, it should be all about him, and they're still making it about them. And they're still arguing about who's the greatest. And you would think that at that point, Jesus would just lay into them, right? Like, you're kidding me, right? Because he also knows that the leader of this band who's left is going to deny him even in a few hours but Jesus doesn't proclaim that. Notice what Jesus says to them, even in the midst of all this, in verse 28. He looks at all 11 of them, and he says, you are the ones who have remained with me in my trial. In a sense, he's proclaiming, you have been faithful in spite of your failure. Why? Because they're still with him. They're still with him when many others would not stay with him. In fact, in John chapter 6, verse 66, we read these words. After this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. See, throughout Jesus' ministry, he kept having more and more people drop away and drop off. And so he's basically commending them, even in the midst of their failures many times, of saying, you know what I love about you guys? You're still here with me. You're, you're with me. You are faithful in spite of all your failures. And so one of the things that gave me hope as I was reading this is here's Jesus proclaiming his perspective upon not only them, but can I just say, us many times. That we may look at ourselves as being failures because we didn't do this or failed to do this. But Jesus saying, as long as you're still with me, we're good. We're good. And here's the thing. The darkness can never quiet or silence his proclamation over his people. See, in spite of the fact of where you might see yourself, we've got to start seeing ourselves and looking at ourselves the way God does, not the way we see ourselves. Jesus is proclaiming his unconditional love over your life right now, no matter what. Jesus is singing over you right now. Jesus is rejoicing over you. Jesus is celebrating you right now. And so often, especially in the darkness, we can get caught up in the, in the accusations of our accuser and the slander and, and all the, the negative talk, and, and we miss the proclamation that Jesus himself is singing and saying and celebrating over us, his people. Don't miss these words that Jesus is saying to his disciples. You have remained with me. You're still here. When everybody else has cut and run, you have been faithful in spite of your failures. Oh, that we need to tune in and listen to the voice of God as he proclaims his unconditional love over us instead of all the trash and garbage that we either tell ourselves or allow others to speak over us. And don't miss this too. Just like the disciples, it's not a matter of if we fall. The question is more of are we going to stay down when we fall or are we going to get back up? And that's why I love Proverbs twenty-four sixteen, which says, although a righteous person may fall down seven times, they get back up every time. I want to encourage you today, based upon the proclamation of Jesus Christ over your life, over his unconditional love for you, over him celebrating you and rejoicing over you and singing over you every day, that if you've been knocked down right now in your life or you have fallen down yourself, get back up. Jesus wants you to get back up, not stay down. The enemy, the darkness, wants you and I to stay down when we've fallen. Jesus is always there with his arm and his hand stretched out saying, my child, you failed, yes. Now let's learn from it and let's get back up and keep on going. And God wants you to hear him proclaiming that over you today because he proclaimed that very same truth over his disciples today. In that day. Remember, the darkness can never quiet or silence the proclamation of God over your life. So tune into it, listen to it. No matter how dark it gets, the darkness cannot silence the voice of God in our lives if we are open to it. Two more. Go over to verse 31. Another thing that should give us hope in the darkness are the prayers of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you? He continually intercedes for us before his Father. Startling words here in verse 31, Simon, Simon, and notice at this point, Jesus isn't calling him Peter because he's not being very rock-like right now in his life. He says, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you all to sift you like wheat. Let me stop there for a minute. This is important. I hope every Christian understands Satan wants to destroy your life. You you get that, right? I mean, Jesus even said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if it was up to Satan, right now, you'd be dead. You realize that. It, if it was up to Satan, your life would be, comp- it would be destroyed. It would be ruined, because that's all Satan wants to do. Though he comes across just like he did to Eve in the garden, like all nice, and again, that angel of light, like I got your best interest at heart. All he wants to do is rob us of everything worthwhile and of great value. And when Jesus tells Simon, Peter, that Satan has demanded. I mean, think of this. Satan has the gall to demand anything from the Lord of glory. Yeah, he does, because that's how, when, when, when people are sinful, including Satan himself, we say and do stupid things because of sin. And somehow Satan has such a warped mind and warped perspective that he thinks he can go up to the Lord of glory and demand anything even though the Lord of glory could just say one word and Satan would be no more. And he says to Simon, and oh, let me say this, the, the reason why God allows Satan to do that is because he uses Satan to bring him glory. We got to wrap our minds around that. That's why, in a sense, he puts up with Satan. Satan. It's like he puts up with the evil that's going on right now because it's all part of God's plan that's going to bring him ultimate glory in this universe. But he says, Simon, Satan came to me and demanded that I allow you to be sifted like wheat. Now, I'm not a farmer. I'm not into agriculture and all that, so I had to do some studying up on it. Sifting of wheat is a very violent process. It literally involves a violent shaking where the husk from the wheat is separated from the grain of the wheat. And so basically what Jesus is saying is, Satan wanted to come into your life and shake you violently. But notice what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you, Simon. Simon. The Savior is interceding for you, Simon, and I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And guess what? That prayer was answered. Because you say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Peter deny his Lord? Didn't his faith fail? The word fail here doesn't mean to necessarily be sinless. It means to experience a fall from which one could never recover or get back up. And we know Peter did that. In fact, Jesus alludes to that. Notice what he says. When you have turned back, when you have repented from your denial of me, strengthen your brothers. Notice Jesus is teaching us something very important here. Peter's faith would be revealed in his repentance and perseverance, not in his sinlessness. Not in his sinlessness, because Peter was far from sinless, just like you and I are far from sinless. But it's just like Jesus said before, but you're still with me. You came back to me when you failed, and I'm going to use you So strengthen your brothers. But notice here, in this, Jesus saying, even in this darkness, never forget, I am praying for you. I don't know about you, but it strengthens me every day to know that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, is up there at the right hand of God the Father, and he is interceding on my behalf, that he is praying for me. Man, there's something that just is so encouraging, knowing that Jesus continually prays for us. And so even in the darkness, the darkness can never hinder the prayers of Jesus for his people. Jesus's prayers always get through. And Jesus wants His people to know, I am always praying for you. so that no matter how dark it gets, be encouraged, be comforted, be strengthened, knowing that your Lord and Savior who died for you is also living for you right now, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. One more. Over, beginning in verse 47, they come to arrest Jesus in the garden. As I said earlier, Judas betrays him with a kiss, which is sort of ironic, isn't it? Because a kiss is a universal sign of friendship and love. When those who were around him saw, verse 49, what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we use our swords? One of them struck the high priest's slave, cutting off his right ear. Jesus said, enough of this and he picked up the man's ear and reattached it to his head and healed him. Not only does the darkness not hide his presence, his promises, his predominance, his proclamation or his prayers, but the darkness can never stifle the power of God. There's always Jesus's power, even in the midst of the darkness. In fact, it's very interesting that his last act as a free man was one of love, compassion, and service to someone else. And I don't think that this supernatural, miraculous healing of putting this ear back on this man who had it cut off was just for him. I personally believe that Jesus saved his own follower, who I think was Peter... We don't get Peter here, but in another gospel, it was actually Peter that took out the sword and cut off Malchus's ear. I believe that Jesus, by reattaching this man's ear, also saved Peter from being crucified. Because to cut off a soldier's ear from a Roman army would have been a punishable by death offense. Jesus wasn't, through with Peter's life yet. And so besides putting Malchus's ear back on so that he could hear, I think he also spared his own follower Peter from the same death that he was going to experience in just a few hours. I want to direct your attention to this word in verse 51, touched. This is an interesting word. It doesn't mean just to touch as in I felt a touch. It's an impact touch. It's a touch that makes a lasting impact or impression. Can you imagine? This man even and all the soldiers that are around see that this guy's ear went flying off and Jesus comes along, picks it up, slaps it back on the side of the man's head. I'm sure there was blood and everything. And all of a sudden, it's like nothing ever happened. Are you kidding me? What do you think was going through their minds as they marched Jesus back to, you know, where they like this guy can reattach an ear? What are we doing? You know? I'm sure that man never forgot that night in the garden. I'm sure those soldiers that saw that miracle never forgot the touch of Jesus, the demonstration of his. Power, And here's what Jesus wants his followers, both then and now, to remember. As an encouragement, as a a measure of hope, as a foundation for hope. That no amount of darkness can ever stifle the power of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' power that was present to heal that man's ear and put it back on his head is present today even in this auditorium, even in our life. And Jesus is here to touch our hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirits today. And the same power that put that man's ear back on his head is present here today to do miracles and to do supernatural things today because God's power is just as prevalent today and just as strong and powerful today as it was that night in the garden. He's changing lives. He's transforming people. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. The darkness never can stifle the power of God. God is always at work. God's power is always being demonstrated. And God wants his people to have hope in the midst of the darkness. We can get so focused even as God's people, on the darkness around us, that we miss the light that's literally inside of us. Because God's word says that God commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me, listen, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus says, if you just by faith follow me, even through the darkest times of your life, you'll never be in the darkness. The darkness may be all around you, but you will always be traveling and navigating in my light. And the darkness will never overtake you or overcome you or overwhelm you because you're walking in my light. We haven't said a lot about how this all plays into serving the Lord. So let me make that quick application as I wrap it up this morning. You and I are effective servants of the Lord when we are messengers of hope in a hopeless world. And when we start losing our hope because the darkness has gotten to us, then we can't be used as God's servants to be messengers of hope to those all around us who are hopeless. And secondly, Jesus said, if anyone wants to serve me, they've got to do what? Follow me. And where I am, there's where my servant is. Well, Jesus said, and if you follow me, guess what? The darkness will never overtake you. You'll never even walk in darkness. You will always walk in my light and have the light of life. Hope and light. That's what God's servants should be identified as people of hope and light, even in the darkness. Even when, as Jesus said, this is their hour, this is the power of darkness, Jesus says, but there's still hope. Because no amount of darkness can ever hide the light of Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And one day when you and I accepted him as our Savior, his light flooded into our life. And there is no need for us to get overtaken by the darkness, no matter how dark it gets. Let's keep shining our light. Let's stand. God, I pray today that we would be determined as your people not to be overwhelmed or overtaken by the darkness that's around us, God. To realize through your word that there's always hope, even in the darkness. The darkness cannot hide your presence, cannot nullify your promises, cannot thwart your predominance, God. It cannot hinder your prayers. It cannot stifle your power. God, over and over again, you have shown that you are greater. So God, you call your people, even in these dark days, to stand up and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Even through the darkness, but I'm going to follow you and I'm going to walk in your light so that I can be a messenger of hope and a messenger of light in the dark times in which I live. God, would you encourage us today? Would you build us up? Would you strengthen us, God, to be your servants in the times in which we live. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.